Hi, it's Mark Wasserman. Welcome to the Skaboom Podcast. This is the audio companion to my forthcoming book, Skaboom, an American Ska and Reggae Oral History, that should be out in early 2021. In this episode, I'm going to explore the brief marriage between ska and acid house music that took place in the late 80s. Depending upon how much of a ska purist you may or may not be, the acid ska or skacid phenomena was either one, a highly danceable ska resurgence which gave the remnants of the two-tone scene one last chance to shine, or two, an incredibly annoying and vapid fad that sullied ska and two-tone's reputation to no end. Um, I'm in the former camp because I've always loved acid ska. Whatever your position, acid ska had its short moment in the sun in 1988 and 1989 when cheap ecstasy and rave parties were all the rage in the UK and house music producers saw a chance to put a twist on acid music, known as house music here in the US. But first, let's talk about the origins and history of acid house. It was born in the mid-80s in Chicago, believe it or not, and then quickly spread to the UK and Europe, where it was greeted with open arms. In the UK, in the late 1980s, Acid House was closely associated with raves and the use of ecstasy, and its growing popularity attracted significant media and police attention, as massive raves, first in abandoned warehouses and then in fields and forests across the UK, were dubbed Britain's second summer of love. The Daily Mail, a large newspaper in the UK, called the uh, acid house phenomena the biggest threat to the health and welfare of Britain's youngsters since the crazy drug cult of the 60s. Some newspapers have called acid house music a sinister and evil cult which lures young people into drug taking. The message is certainly getting across. What do you know about acid house music? There's, there's meant to be a drugs-related craze. Uh, seems to be the most worrying thing. And where did you find that out? That was in the paper. Do you think it's a, it, anything it, to do it, with a certain religion, do you think? No, is there anything it's like it. that? No, it's no, more to do no. with a kind of a drug, isn't it? It's a drug. Yeah, well, those that take it want to be, ought to be ashamed well. of themselves. I presume they do frenzied dancing, that kind of thing. Um, probably out of control, not behaving like normal. Uh, normally they would because they're under um, the effects of the drug. I've just read about it in the newspapers that... Uh, Acid house music. I assumed it was something to do with the drug scene. It must affect the brain in some way. Unless it's just the music that does it. Who All knows? them lights flashing don't do you any good either, do it? Oh, I, I wouldn't even go in the no. pub where them lights are. Oh, no, they drive no. you mad, don't they? It's one of the, the biggest hypes that have come on the music scene in recent years. And it's the peripheral stories that go with it. Drugs, sex, sensation. Ted Hines is the Sunday People's Acid House correspondent. He's one of many popular newspaper journalists who find it an irresistible story. You're now dealing with parties two or three every weekend in both London, Birmingham, Manchester. Two, three thousand kids at a time. There's a great potential there, a lot of money involved, and I think money is the key to a lot of the people who feed off Acid House. But the kids attending these raves felt very differently. To them, 
1988 was a moment when a particular music, people, and a drug came together and changed a country's culture. So did you guys have fun tonight? Yeah, man. Yeah, excellent. Why? What was so good about it? Good atmosphere. Excellent atmosphere. Was it good music? Music's always good from Fantasia. Is Fantasia the best? Yeah. Definitely. Are you guys going to stop ever, or are you going to keep dancing forever? I'm keep dancing forever, me. Well, at least till I remember where I put my car. So how does ska music get mixed up in all this? In the late 80s, the U.S. ska scene was just starting to kick off with bands like the Toasters and Bim Scala Bim playing shows across the country, and in the case of Bim Scala Bim, actually making a trip over to the U.K. for the, one of the first American bands to do so. And at the same time, ska was experiencing a comeback in the UK after the end of Two Tones five years earlier. Bands like Maroon Town, the Deltones, and the Potato Five were generating interest. And the first London International Ska Festival was held in December of 1988. At the same time, the producer Long ZD, born Andrew Alexander Long, began mixing hip-hop and reggae. Long ZD is widely acknowledged as the very first acid ska artist, and his first song, Mental Ska, from 1988, is considered the first acid ska track. For the uninitiated, Acid Ska features the signature characteristics of house and techno, namely a Roland TR-909 drum machine, a Roland TB-303 bassline synth, and an MC vocalist or toaster. Where Acid Ska was different than straight techno and house music was that it replaced the classic breakbeat sample with a ska or pitched up reggae rhythm guitar sample. Are you ready to find it, people? Let's go! The most sophisticated of acid ska tracks had melodic horn sections in the same arrangement that a typical ska song would include them. Historically, Acid Ska is the predecessor to jungle, dubstep, and other reggae hybrids that have proliferated in the UK and around the world over the last 20 years. But back in 1989, Long ZD collaborated with Buster Bloodvessel and Nick Welsh of Bad Manners to write the song This Is Ska, thus combining some house elements with the typical sounds of a band. And it was this song that captured my attention and for many others, I think, um, was their first introduction to this new genre of acid ska. Yeah. The offensive sound of now. 
This is Other notable Acid Ska tracks that were released in 1989 include Ranking Roger and Linville Golding's collaboration on We Play Ska with The Children of the Night, which further cemented Acid Ska as a short-term refuge for two-tone era musicians looking for safe harbor for a bit, while Ska in the UK was starting to transition to newer bands like The Loafers and Maroon Town. One of the best and most overlooked acid ska tracks is Double Trouble and the Rebel MC's Just Keep Rockin', which features a sample of I'll Take You There by the Staple Singers and the bass intro from Mr. Big Stuff by Stax label artist Gene Knight, which is sampled and pitched sped up. Don't like to what the people say, these sounds lead the way. The video for that song is notable for the presence of Rude Boys, and I've always thought it's important because it connected the new, this new sound and look back to original ska, rack steady, and traditional reggae, and again, in my mind, brings everything full circle, um, uh, proving once again that ska will never die. It's mutable. It can, it can change. It can be added to all sorts of different genres and still retain its essence. I actually learned about acid ska while I was um, in a record store and I stumbled across this compilation album called Ska Beats One. It had this very colorful cover, um, pink and yellow, didn't look anything like a traditional ska um, or reggae album, but I picked it up, brought it home, and I think I played that album a ton. Um, And it features a real mix of some of the best of acid ska. Though considered a UK phenomenon, Acid Ska did reach the shores of the U.S., most significantly in clubs in New York, Chicago, and L.A. This is Ska was played regularly and was very popular with crowds into traditional house and techno. In fact, Long ZD performed at the Underground, a club in New York City in the late 80s. And back then, artists didn't have Macs or digital files, so he had to bring a quarter-inch reel of his tracks to play on the club system. Acid Ska got popular enough here in the U.S. that the Toasters recorded their own Acid Ska track, Roseanne, which appears on their This Gun for Hire album. It's interesting to hear their take on it. The song starts out with acid ska percussion and keys before more traditional instruments come in. But I think this is testament to the fact that acid ska, though a fad, was having an impact. Though short-lived, I believe acid ska deserves to be remembered for its creativity and for having paved the way for more hybrid genres, 
and most importantly, for having played a role, albeit a minor one, in the rediscovery and reworking of Jamaican music that was taking place in the late 80s and early 90s. The fact is that acid ska pioneers like Long ZD and Double Trouble and the Rebel MC picked up the two-tone flame and created something new. They continued to bring black and white people together on the dance floor and together creatively to make more new and innovative music. Acid ska, along with reggae, hip-hop, and punk, had an undeniable influence on acts like Massive Attack. Robert Dalnasia from Massive Attack discusses their early influences. Being in Bristol at that particular time, I mean, I've no sort of experience being anywhere else, obviously. But there was, um, coming out of the punk scene, I was a little bit too young for the whole punk thing, but I was affected by it, obviously. And there was a, a sort of like a club called The Dugout, which was a club where it's yeah, probably the only place in Bristol where sort of black and white people would hang out together because of the music, because it wasn't sort of divided by politics or whatever, social boundaries. And you started spending a lot of time there, and every night in the dugout there'd be a different type of music, a different DJ playing different things from soul to funk to hip-hop, as it started to happen very early days, electro and uh, reggae music all the time as well. Bristol's had a big history of reggae music going way back, and I was into The Clash <clears throat> and Public Image and The Slits, maybe all those bands got me into this kind of idea of something else happening. And going to that club kind of, you know, gave me an insight into what else was out there. And I think, you know, a lot of people in Bristol met during that time and sort of got into music that was changing. It's a very sort of like a, I suppose, a very fertile time for music. It went from, you know, for a lot of changes in five years, from punk in 77 to hip-hop in 81. It's four years of a major change. And a lot of people were very affected by that. And I think also the punk thing and the hip-hop thing was very anti-establishment and its own kind of feeling, you know, it wasn't about sort of like commercial music, it was about things coming from a certain place, specific places, and I think that was very appealing. So that's what really got me into it. Thanks very much for listening to this mini podcast documentary. I'm planning to record more like it to bring more stories from my Marco 